We're finishing our series in First uh, John. It's taken two summers, um, but we are we're finally ending the book. And it's interesting the way uh, John ends this. It's a sermon. First uh, John is a sermon that was passed around and given um, in the churches in Ephesus. And the way he ends it's very odd. It's uh, he's kind of like, watch out. Um, but I think it's actually, uh, it's kind of appropriate, especially, uh, for those of you who are, um, empty nesting now, or your, uh, your, your kids have gone off to college, like Lexi. I remember the last time that, uh, I talked to Lexi before she went off to Mon Woming. Which one is it? Montana. They're the same. Um, and, <laughs> and I, I was like, Lexi, listen, uh, college is the best years of your life. They're awesome. Like, super fun. But be careful, because they can be really dangerous too. Um, there's a lot out there that is 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 not great, and so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to be wise. You're gonna have to be you know careful as you're navigating what uh, your college experience looks like. It, it's gonna be rad, but it's also gonna be challenging and dangerous. I mean, I you know I remember when I was in school, like all my professors were atheists, and you know I was it was expected that I needed to be like a Marxist or something. It was a very interesting like. Uh, kind of back and forth of me enjoying and, and having these amazing relationships, but also being in danger. So let's, uh, let's read how John ends uh, his sermon together. We know we are from God, while the whole world finds itself in the evil one. We know then that the Son of God has come and given us comprehension, understanding, so that we can recognize the true God, and we are in the true God. In his son, Jesus the Messiah. This man is the true God and eternal life. Little children, protect yourselves from idols. Again, odd way to end the, the, protect yourselves from idols. Also, not that relevant for us, right? I mean, we don't have idols. We don't, we don't do that. Um, and so how, actually, I think that this text is more relevant to us today in Orange County in 2022 um, than it might have been even when John gave it in Ephesus. So let's, uh, let's focus on uh, the text. We know we are from God while the whole world finds itself in the evil one. This is, a, I'm translating as, as closely to the Greek here as possible because John has the entire time in First John been focusing on identity. Where is your identity? Are you a child of God or are you a child of Satan, the enemy? John doesn't think that there's poss- other possibilities. You're either, you're either from God or you're from the evil one. And you need to know, friends, that everybody out there is ultimately finding themselves in the evil one, even if they don't know it. Even if you don't, if you're not connected to Jesus, you're out there and you are identifying yourself in some way, but it's ultimately not sourced in God. Um, I, I just, uh, we, we just got a, uh, an Australian Kelpie. We thought it was a black lab mixed with a, uh, uh, um, a greyhound. You can go to the next slide, Marilyn. Um, but we, uh, we got, we, we found out though that it's actually a, an Australian Kelpie, which is, I didn't even know that there was such thing as an Australian Kelpie. But these dogs are very active and they have, a, they, 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 apparently they were born, um, the, they were crossbred. They came from dingoes in Australia, and so they have a very interesting um, way that they jump, uh, and so they, they kind of like hop, almost like a kangaroo. It's very cute, but it's also it means that they're very active. And if Gracie does not get a good walk or a good exercise, she is a disaster. In fact, uh, she didn't the other day, and so I let her bite me. 
uh, because she needed something to gnaw on, and so I gave her my hands. So what have we been doing? We've been going to the dog park. Thankfully, La Paz Dog Park is right across the street from the parsonage, and she goes there, and she has the best time. She runs around, and I've noticed that people at the dog park are like the weirdest people in the world. They... <laughs> They're, they're very odd. Nobody knows each other, but everybody is willing to just walk up to you and start talking to you about their dog, as though I care. I don't. I don't care about your dog. I'm here to get Gracie. Uh, I mean, I, I'm glad that you have. I met this lady. She's in her 40s, and she's never been married. She has four dogs, and her entire life is built around being a dog mom. And I, I was like, I was sitting there, and I was like, man, I don't have the heart to tell you this, but I think that's kind of sad. Like, it's just a dog, you know? And it doesn't matter how many of them you have. Like, and, and yet I, I started to realize that for her, her entire identity was built around being a dog mom. And it wasn't just her. There's a whole community of these people. And I started to realize, I started thinking like, wow, it's so easy for us to ground ourselves, to find ourselves in whatever right? Uh, TikTok influencers, Instagram influencers. I mean, can you believe, uh, all you parents, if you don't know this, your kids do. Like, it's, it's crazy how people define themselves now based on how many followers they have or, or the fact that they're a follower of somebody. You identify yourself based on your digital, you know, relationship with your followers or the ones that you follow. And you talk to each other about it. You become fans. There's even, uh, there's even now, uh, there, I've seen this, this fascinating way where people have begun to identify themselves as like fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like their entire identity is built around what Iron Man's doing. And they share this with other people and, and what gives meaning and purpose to their lives or whatever, you know, Luke Skywalker and Star Wars. It's crazy how fandom itself has become a source of identity for our youth. And of course, I know, um, I have many uh, friends in the LGBTQ community, um, and it's very odd how some of them, um, especially those who are not connected to Jesus, they, they have completely gone all in on my identity is my sexuality. And that's who I am. It's like, a, it's almost, it's very strange. And then, uh, of course... I have many friends, especially those who are not connected to Jesus, whose identity, whose life is built around sports, of all things. I have, a, I have a relative who basically goes into depression after the Super Bowl because he has to wait, you know, so many months for, and so he has to get into baseball, which, as we all know, is one of the most boring sports in the world. So he's, so he's like, so he, and, and so his life is empty. Now, none of these things are bad, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with, you know, TikTok, and there's nothing wrong with being at the dog park. I, the whole LGBT community, I, we, we can save that for another time. But, but we, we, we have to recognize that once you're apart from Jesus, and even if you are connected to Jesus, it is super easy to find your meaning, your life, your identity in something else, and if you keep doing that, you go down that road, it turns out that you are not finding yourself in Christ. You start finding yourself connected, grounded, identified in something that ultimately is what the enemy wants for you. The last thing the enemy wants for you is to identify yourself here in this family. That's the, 
the fact of the matter is, is that what John's saying is, he even says at the end, little children, you're the family of God. This is where you belong. This is where your life is sourced. Jesus is the one who is giving you identity. God is your father. These people around you are your brothers and sisters. That's who you are. And if you miss that and you supplant it with something else, you are on dangerous, dangerous ground. Because guess what? The dog is going to die. At a certain point, you might find, and many of my students who have come out of the LGBT community, um, they, they'll tell me uh, what they realized was that this community wasn't loving at all. It was absolutely loveless. It was instrumentalizing them as sexual objects and then ultimately as po- political pawns. These are students that I, I mean, I, these are not my words. These are, these are students who, who I know who have come to love me and I love them. That's what they saw. And yes, the Super Bowl ends the season and your favorite player is going to retire. And somebody, somebody is going to screw up the Marvel Cinematic Universe or your influencer is going to get tired. And at those moments when that happens, you, if you're not identifying in the family of God, you're, you're rootless. You have nothing. So it's the first thing in your note sheets. You are never truly home until you find yourself in the family of God. This is where you belong. This is where you should be committed. But John goes on. He, he wants to tell us something more about the family of God. He wants us to understand something about it, that the, the way that it changes the way we see the world. So let's go back to the text. Let's, uh, let's, let's skip that. Let's go to the text. We know then that the Son of God has come and given us comprehension, understanding, so we can recognize the true God. And we are in the true God, in his Son, Jesus the Messiah. This man, this, this human being, is the true God and eternal life. Now, that is an absolutely outrageous statement, especially in the ancient world, but still here. The reason everyone outside these walls thinks we're nuts is that we claim that a human being is actually true God. That's crazy. In the ancient world, it was, it was crazy for a different reason. Um, I have uh, here some of the ancient gods, your statues of the ancient gods that were uh, sort of competing with Jesus when uh, Christianity began. On the left there is Aphrodite. It's very hard to get a, uh, a church-appropriate statue of Aphrodite um, <laughs> because Aphrodite is the goddess of love and sex, the patron, patroness of all the of prostitutes uh, all over the ancient world. Uh, Aphrodite, if you worship Aphrodite, what you think uh, life is about, what God is about, what love is about, it's about romance, and it's about sex. And that's what the world is about. Right? You wouldn't be a, you wouldn't worship Aphrodite if you weren't interested in romance and sex. And so you teens, I got, I was a teen once. I knew how important romance and sex was in my mind. You might have been interested in worshiping Aphrodite in the ancient world. Next to her is uh, Zeus. Uh, whenever you get a, uh, a statue of Zeus, and his left, sometimes his right, but usually his left hand, he's carrying a lightning bolt. And the reason is that Zeus is the king of the gods, and, and for, for Zeus, Zeus has the power to kill. Zeus has the power to dominate other human beings. Um, he's, so if you think of the world in Zeusian terms, the world, the world's a place for you to gain power over those around you. That's what you should be after. And so when you pray to Zeus, you're praying that you'll have his strength to dominate and oppress those around you so that you can rise to the top. Next is my favorite, Dionysus, the god of of wine. 
the party god. Uh, Dionysus, I mean, he was like, let's just have fun all the time. Let's go to parties. Let's hang out. Let's just chill. Like, let's not worry about things. Pleasure. Let's have pleasure. And when you think about the world in Dionysian terms, you think that everything that you're doing is organized around getting to that next high, that next, you know, fun experience, that next uh, crew that you're rolling with, that next uh, whatever it is that, that gives you that fun release. That's what life is about. And on the right, Poseidon, uh, the god of the, uh, the ocean. In the ancient world, the ocean was the place of chaos. Right? The ocean was a place where human beings had no control. And, but Poseidon did. Poseidon was the one who was able to tame the waves. He was able to, to stop the leviathans and the large creatures of the deep. Le, uh, Poseidon was the guy who, who looked around at a chaotic universe and was able to set it in order. He was able to make it ordered the way he wanted it to be. And some of us some of us may uh, relate to that. You feel like, wow, there's all these things going on around, and boy, isn't it, isn't it great to be able to take what's, what's crooked and make it straight, to take what looks like chaos, to take what looks like it's going to uh, overcome us and, make, and put our, our order over it. That's what Poseidon was about. That's what life is about. What is the icon? What is the image that Christianity replace these things with? What is the image of Jesus? This is uh, by the uh, Spanish painter Velasquez, um, Velasquez uh, from the 17th century, 1632, I think. But it stands in a long uh, tradition um, of uh, Christians imaging Christ on the cross. Powerless. Jesus was single. He didn't get married. He didn't have kids. Jesus did enjoy feasting with his disciples, but when it came down to it, when push came to shove, Jesus set aside his own desires for joy, for pleasure, for happiness, so that he could undertake the crucifixion for us to give us life. Instead of setting the chaos of the universe in order, Jesus received the death that chaos brought to him. What John realizes and what he's explaining to us is he's saying, listen, they're going to tell you so many different images of what, God, of what God is like and what life is like. But you have to discard them because this man is true God. This man is eternal life. And what did he do? He gave himself over to torture and death to bring life to the world. He could have thrown lightning bolts. He could have tamed the waves. At one point he did. He could have had all of the, the feasting and the romance. He could, have, he could have done anything, but instead he set his mission to bring about the kingdom of God. And in so doing, this next thing your note sheet, he redefines God and life and love as self-giving and self-sacrificial. 
for the first time in human history, someone came and said, oh, it's not really about power. It's not really about sex. It's not really about... Actually, what it's really about is being on mission with God to give of yourself, to, to, to have a cost come to you so that you can bring life to others. And that brings up a couple of questions. We're all, I mean, hopefully we're all Jesus followers, Jesus believers here. I mean, I hope that's the case. Um, but even if we all are, we all probably look at God and we kind of want God to be the way we want God to be, right? We want, we want God maybe to be in, you know, the Old Testament God, smash, smash, smash. Or maybe, maybe we, we like uh, the buddy Jesus who's like just your pal, doesn't really demand anything from you, but he's a really cool dude. What kind of God do we prefer? And how do we reconcile that with the image of the cross? The cross is what defines God. The cross is the moment where we see God at God's most vulnerable, most open. And this, um, there's a second question that comes with that. Is this the God that we're preaching? Are we we sharing with people um, a God who's willing to be humiliated and, and, and die? Because if we're not, I mean, Paul, at one point, he even says, Paul's like, he's like, I preach Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's what, that's my gospel. Yes, there's resurrection. He has a whole bit about resurrection. But you need to understand, if you want to know God, you want to understand true God, you have to go through the cross. And if you're, if you're following what I'm saying, this next part should not be a surprise to you. It should not be a surprise why it is that John ends the sermon with this command. Watch out! Little children, my, my beloved family. It's, uh, it's interesting how this is a very affectionate term in Greek, little children. It's, uh, we, don't have, we don't have it in English very well, but it would be like if I was like, Harry, little guy, my little pal love you, buddy. That's how it sounds in Greek. Hey, little guys, watch out. Protect yourselves from idols. Should be pretty obvious, right? The ancient world, they had Zeus, they had Aphrodite, Dionysus, Poseidon, a whole bunch And if you, real, if you think about it, all, all it was, was it was people like us finding the thing that, that they were so excited about, so, so enticed by, and they worship it. I mean, you could take Aphrodite right out of there. If you centered your life around romance and sex, if that's what's driving you, if that's what's at the, you're worshiping it. That's worship. The thing, the thing that, that's out there, that, that it's, it's glittering, and you're like, ooh, I want that. And I'm going to organize everything in my life about getting that. That's worship. Power. Fun. Control. I mean, what is it? I have a saying with my kids. Alice and Olivia, they hate this. They're hysterical people. Um, because they're children, they're constantly, like, freaking out. And so, for example, uh, like, maybe we're sitting outside and a bee comes. 
they will scream and they will run away. Or we might be uh, walking around and Soren, my, my, my son, might fall and, and, and hurt himself and begin to cry. And they'll be like, oh, we got to call the, the hospital, get the 911. They, and they, they burst out into tears. So it's honestly, um, it's pretty exhausting. Anyway, uh, when I'm trying to calm down these little maniacs, I say to them, I always say to them this, I say, what's the fawns like? Does anyone know the answer to that question? He's cool. <laughs> They're not allowed to see the movie that comes from that line comes from, but uh, that's the truth. I mean, the Fonz, he's cool. No matter what's going on, the Fonz has it under control. Hey! When I was uh, when I got to high school, I was short. Um, and uh, for the first time in my life, uh, I wasn't, I didn't feel like very cool. Um, in fact, I, I was very quickly tur- turned into a nerd. I went to the nerd table uh, where all the other, you know, AP, IB, whatever students were, were, were sitting, honor students. Um, and, and that, that kind of bothered me. For four years, I was at the table with, let's be honest, Losers. And I hated it. I hated it because I was like, hey, I'm awesome. How come no one sees that? And by the way, why is it that it's not me who's landing, let's not use specific names, but, you know, the girls that, you know what I'm talking about. Josh, you get it. The ladies that, you know, I, I, I didn't have a shot. I wasn't on a football team. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't cool. And as a result, um, I began to organize my life uh, through the last couple of years of high school and then in college and, and, and really through my 20s. Um, I began to organize my life about, around being cool. You may not know this, but I really, really want you to like me. I do. I want you to think I'm awesome. And for a long period in my life, uh, almost every decision that I made, all my interests, everything, was all designed, all about getting other people to think, I'm cool. And a lot of the things that I did uh, hurt a lot of people. One of the, this is cool. If you, uh, you want to be cool, one thing that you can do is you can find someone who's lower than you on the social status ladder and make fun of them in front of other people that are cool. They will immediately think you're awesome. And you'll be destroying a life. I did that. If you want to be cool, um, you need to <laughs> you need to look at all of the things that other people are interested in, and you become a master of them. Know all the movies, all the music, and have better taste than anyone around you. It's crazy. Uh, back in the day, in order to be cool, you had to be a football player. But we flipped the script. And now dorks like me can be at the top of the food chain if we play it right. Being cool is my God. What's yours?
brings us to that last thing in the note sheets. Idols, all they are is just the enticing things that you want to rule your life. That's it. That's what I wanted. I wanted my life to be ruled by cool. And it was. And I was kind of successful at it. And I left a wreckage beyond, behind me. And then when I actually had to become an adult, I had to relearn everything. Because sadly, teens, once you get to adulthood, you are automatically not cool. <laughs> There's nothing that you can do that will make you cool. Like, you'll, you'll go, Lucas, I, I, <laughs> I remember when I was like 35, I went to like a, ro- a cool rock show at, like some, at a small club in L.A. And I was like, nope, this is over. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and I, the, the, what I'm saying is, my God left me empty. And yours will too. The only thing that won't is Jesus. That brings up just a couple of questions. What is it that you can taste? Is it being seen as awesome? Is it power, sex, money? Is it, is it if you don't have, uh, if people don't see you in a particular way, or if, if you don't get uh, to do particular things, and you don't, you don't get to be seen, uh, what is it? Is it your Instagram account? What is it that you want to fill you, and it isn't Jesus? And second, are you even trying to stop? I remember um, the worst prayer I ever prayed was when I was uh, probably 23, 24. And I said, I was, I was peaking. <laughs> and I, I said, God, I want more. I want you to give me everything you have for me. <laughs> and did. And it was like the most humbling, awful experience of my entire life. Because I wasn't protecting myself from my God, my idols. I thought I was, but I wasn't. And now I really have to be on guard. I, I, there's many things that entice me, but yeah, one of them is I want you to like me. I want you to think I'm awesome. And I have to make sure that I'm not letting that dominate the way that I'm pastoring or preaching or, or, or whatever. I, I still want to be cool. What do you want to be? And how are you setting up guards? How are you, uh, that, that Greek there, um, keep yourselves or protect yourselves from idols, it's, a, it's very much of a like, like it's, a, it's a military type term. It's like, what are you doing to stand watch? What are you doing to, to shield yourself? Because if you don't, the good news is um, this, it's that the reason God gives us this family is so that we can hold each other up. I love that, uh, you know, Band of Brothers. Remember that uh, show on HBO? Um, what, what, was, what comes across is that we're all wounded. We are all seeking different idols. But if we stay with it and we stay with each other and we hold each other up, that's why we have this family. To set us on mission, to re- replace our idols with, with, with the true God who is Jesus the Messiah. And, and in that, to, to, to carry each other. And I see that here. I see that in you. I see that in us. 
And I believe that if we stay the course and keep the faith, that we're going to leave those idols behind us forever and enter into glory in heaven. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, let us be on the lookout, protecting ourselves from those things that entice us. And God, maybe um, there's some of us here who, who aren't sure what that is. Maybe we're blinded to the things that, that we chase. Father of lights, open our eyes. God of wisdom, grant us that wisdom to see. And God, maybe there's some of us here who know very well what our little God is. But we're not ready to let go yet. God, penetrate our hearts. Holy Spirit, convict and empower us to repent and turn. God, maybe there's some of us here who are um, identifying ourselves um, in something that isn't this family that you've given us. We're, we're finding our identity, we're finding our life elsewhere. Lord Jesus, be the light that shines and shows us what where real identity, real meaning, real hope is. Gracious God, let us hold each other up with honesty and love and mercy and help each other kill the little gods so that all we have is you. In your name we pray.